Um, all right, so let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. We'll dive into it. Study sheets are going to be coming here in a minute, uh, so we'll pass those out as soon as they get here. But let's have somebody pray uh, real quick and get us focused, and then we can get ready to go. So who'd like to pray? Go for it. Dear God, just thank you for the amazing day that you've given to us. Just thank you for the beautiful fall weather and the leaves changing. It just reminds us of how powerful you are, God, and that you create everything. Just thank you for the time that you've given us to all get together and freely assemble and worship and give Stephen and Tom both the words to speak today in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, handouts are being passed out right now. So you can listen while I do a little bit of review because we don't have time to do more of an interactive review this morning. All right, so the tabernacle, furnishing a proper dwelling place for the Lord. Um, and the big thing that I want to just remind you of is that this all stems out of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, talking about how your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, that your body is the tabernacle. Peter talks about this, how his body is called the earthly tabernacle, that when he dies, he's about to put that off. So everything you see in the Old Testament related to the temple, the tabernacle, and how it's structured is a great illustration of you, your life, your body, and how God wants to dwell in the midst of you. So this has been our picture. Of course, come on, work. It's not working today. This is awesome. There we go. So that has been our picture that we've been looking at. You've got your entrance here. You've got your brazen altar. You've got your brazen labor. And then you have your holy place and then the most holy place. And this is just a representation of God's presence. In the Old Testament, when God showed up in the temple, what was the, uh, what was the picture? When he showed up, what showed up in the temple? You want to remember? Like when he originally came down? Yeah, when his presence. Yes, a cloud. A cloud. And then remember in um, Exodus, when he led the children of Israel out of Egypt, <coughs> what was his presence represented by? Two things. Cloud and fire. Cloud and fire. So those are the two things. And Hebrews talks about how our God is a consuming fire. And so whenever the temple, the tabernacle, God's presence was there, according to Exodus 33, when Moses first set up the tabernacle, it was filled with a cloud. And so I picture uh, um, a light cloud, but then you've also got, there's also representations of God's presence where it's actually thick darkness. And then actually when Moses went through, he was actually before the presence of the Lord and it was light. So that is the temple. That is the tabernacle. And so this visual illustration, this is you. This is you. This is you. And we got the entrance, the sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, your salvation being covered by the blood of of the sacrifice, the spotless lamb, and the other sacrifices that they offered. And then you have the laver, which is washing your hands and your feet as you go to and from. And you have the holy place, which is where we spent some time talking about the things in the holy place. So as we take a look at our picture, we got our outside, and then we've got our holy place in here. We've got a brazen laver, you got your brazen altar, and you have your entrance. So what are the items that are in here? Yeah. The table. table. What else? Yep. Candlestick. candlestick, which is incredibly awesome and really good at it. One, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> All right. It's really bad. All right. What else? The incense. The incense, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Yep. All right. And so here, this is the only source of light in this particular area. And so the table show red represents... The Bible, the Word of God, and, because there's a crown round about it, 
And Jesus is also called this. So it's Jesus because he is the bread of life. Very good. And then we have the altar of incense. which We're going to spend time here today. And this is a representation of the Holy Spirit. So we got this one as being Jesus. And then now we're going to talk about this one, uh, which is also another representation of the Spirit of God. So this is the overview. Overview. And again, if you're talking about your own personal life as we take a look at this, very simple. Salvation. You can't enter into God's presence without being covered by the blood. Sanctification, being set apart, that your hands and feet need to be clean because as you walk around in this world and you're serving the Lord, you need to wash your hands and your feet. You don't need to have a sacrifice again, necessarily, because Jesus is that once and for all sacrifice. Now we're talking about being set apart and washing your hands and your feet. Then entering into God's presence, you have the Word of God. You have the Spirit of God that indwells you, that gives light upon the Word of God. And now you have the altar of incense, which is your prayer life. So we're going to be talking about our prayer life this morning. So many of you, the reason why I wanted to bring this back as just a quick review, is that when it comes to our walk with God, many of us struggle in our walk with God because either we're not saved, because you can't walk with God unless you're saved. You've got to be saved first. That's the very first step. So you don't have salvation or you're not sanctified, you're not set apart. You can be saved, but if you are not set apart, if you are not consciously saying, you know what, God, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior, not just eternally, but every single day. I mean, we all make mistakes. I mean, even when it comes to my kids and in my relationship with my kids, when they have disobeyed my words, we have broken fellowship. And so the only way that can be restored, right here, is getting their hands and their feet washed in our relationship. Them coming to me and saying, you know what, Dad? I was wrong. I'm sorry. Thank you. I forgive you. Let's move forward. So many of you haven't really experienced a really close, intimate relationship with God in His Word, through your prayer life, with the Spirit of God, because these things are not happening in your life. Either salvation, or you're not setting yourself apart unto God. You're too much like the world. And you're not willing to deal with the junk in your life. That really comes every time in my life. That's what it always comes back down to. If my intimacy is off, it's because of here. I know I'm saved. I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I've done what the Bible says. I'm trusting in Him and Him alone. It has nothing to do with me. It's this. This. Being set apart. And then once I've done this and I'm honest with God, now I can have a real relationship with Him here. And then that leads us into the most holy place, which we'll talk about next week where you have the mercy seat and you have the Ark of the Covenant there. Alright, so let's get into this. Exodus chapter 30. Exodus 30. Go ahead and turn there. Exodus 30. Exodus 30. Take a look at verse 1. Exodus 30, verse 1, And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon, of shittim wood shalt thou make it, a cubit shall be the length thereof, and a cubit, the cubit the breadth thereof, four squares shall it be, and two cubits shall be the height thereof, the horns thereof shall be of the same. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, the top thereof, and the sides thereof, round about, and the horns thereof, and thou shalt make unto it a crown, there's another crown, of gold round about it. 
And the two golden rings shalt thou make to it under the crown of it, by the two corners thereof, upon the two sides of it shalt thou make it. And they shall be for places for the staves to bear it withal. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning, when he dresseth the lamps. He shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall ye pour drink offering thereon. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. All right, you got that one. Go over to chapter 37. So that is the instructions. Then you got Exodus 37. Where now it's actually being made. So you have the instructions. Now it's being made according to the instructions. Verse 25. And he made the incense altar of shittim wood. The length thereof was a cubit, and the breadth of it a cubit. It was four square, and two cubits was the height of it, and the horns thereof were of the same. And he overlaid it with pure gold, both the top of it and the sides thereof round about, and the horns of it. Also he made unto it a crown of gold round about. Verse 27. And he made two rings of gold for it under the crown thereof by the two corners of it, upon the two sides thereof, to be places for the staves to bear withal. And he made the staves of shittim wood and overlaid them with gold. And he made the holy anointing oil and all that. So that is the instructions before. Now he actually builds it. This is the construction of it. And then it's placed in the tabernacle. Chapter 40. And this is the same pattern you see with all the instruments. You have the instructions, then it's built, and then it's placed. Exodus 40 and verse 5. Give me a reader. Good. And thou shalt set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put the hanging of the door to the tabernacle. Okay, very specifically, it is to be placed right here, right before this, the ark of the testimony, and you have the veil in between. So that is the spot for that altar of incense. Okay. All right, so those are all the instructions. Okay, so we've got our golden altar. This is the picture you guys have on there. Now here is uh, very simple, just kind of look like a big rectangle. You have this sensor as well, but you have this crown round about it. And there was supposed to be nothing on it that would be called strange fire. And that's where uh, you had the sons of Aaron. Remember when they offered strange fire before the Lord and God struck them dead? It's because they offered something upon there that was not supposed to be offered upon there at all. They offered some other kind of incense. They did not obey the instructions of the Lord. So God is very, very specific about what is supposed to be burning upon this altar of incense. All right, let's run through some of the details. Okay, so the altar, the rings, and staves were overlaid with pure gold. Again, we've talked about that. Everything is gold here in the holy place. The altar had a crown of gold round about it. Now, you guys remember what the crown was on the table of showbread? What did that represent? What does a crown represent? What's that? A king. Yeah, a king. Royalty. So, the table being the picture of who? We just talked about it. 
Jesus. Yes, the standard Bible Sunday school answer. Jesus. Yes. And so this one, then, you have the golden altar with a crown around it. So what would this represent? Christ divinity. No, not Christ, because we already got on the table. The Spirit. The Spirit. And why is that? You know, make the connection. We talked a little bit about it with the candlestick last week in Romans. We'll hit it again. But anyone want to take a stab at it? Figuratively? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Why would the Spirit of God be, be associated with the altar of incense? Yeah. Prayer. Yes, prayer. Incense being the burning of incense is a picture of prayer. Because he like takes our prayers and makes them better for God. Yes, absolutely. So we're going to look at a couple references here in a little bit that <laughs> that associate those two together. Because when you burn incense, what direction does it go? Up. up. Yes, up. And so it ascends up before God. And God talks about our prayers being that way too. Yeah. God says that our prayers are sweet smelling Yes, absolutely. And so this sweet incense, this incense that was specific for this altar was supposed to be for that as well. Perfect. Awesome. Good job. All right. Next point. The altar was to be placed before the veil that was before the ark mercy seat. And so we already talked about that, where it's placed inside the holy place. The altar was placed um, before the ark mercy seat where God said, I will meet with thee. Now, this is very important. God very specifically says there is a spot where I am going to meet with you. And that spot is right here. This is where God's presence was. You were near God's presence in this area, but this is where God's presence was. And he wanted this to be right here, dead center, right in front of the curtain, right in front of the veil, before his presence right here, where he said, I will meet with thee there. The altar was only for burning a certain sweet incense every morning and evening. Those are your blanks there. Morning and evening. We read that in Exodus 30. And it was to be there every morning, every evening, a certain, a certain kind of sweet incense. Next, the altar was to be atoned for once a year with the blood of the sin offerings of atonement. That's an interesting one. So that means that when they would offer, once a year, they would offer the sacrifice of, uh, of atonement, right? And so the blood that was offered for that sacrifice of atonement was made right here. And the blood from that sacrifice was supposed to come in here and they were supposed to put it on the horns of this altar, this golden altar, the altar of incense. So it's directly connected, directly connected. And then this one's really cool too. The altar's coals were to only come from the fire on the brazen altar. So not only is the blood connected, but the coals... Take a look at this verse, Leviticus 16, 12. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord and his hands full of sweet incense beaten small and bring it within the veil. So that means this censer, that picture you guys have on your study sheet at the bottom, so you have that little round censer. That censer they would take out and they would go to this brazen altar. And the coals from this brazen altar, they would take out using the tongs and they would put it in that censer. And they would take that censer with that substance that's supposed to be burning the sweet incense and they would bring it in here and set it on the golden altar. 
So it's directly connected. Not only is the blood, but also the source of fire, the coals. Very interesting, very important, very important. So going back to Moses' kids, his two boys that offered strange fire, it's because they got a different source of fire. They took different coals from somewhere else, not here, and they offered it upon here before God's presence, and that was a huge no-no. And we'll talk why that's a big, big mistake. Big mistake. All right, spiritual truths. Let's take all these details that we just saw and let's try to tie them together. All right, first of all, same one as the other two weeks that we had before. Pure gold represents divinity, holiness, and things of high value. Again, this is repeating it, but it's the same thing over and over again. You're right before the presence of God, and it's gold. The picture is gold. Anytime you see gold in the Bible, it's always a picture of God's divinity. It's a picture of God's holiness, things of very high value. Secondly, a crown indicates royalty and authority. Royalty and authority, and in this instance, it represents the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. And this is a great reminder, great reminder. Go over to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. The Holy Spirit is God. In our culture today, and in many realms of Christianity, the Holy Spirit is not equal with God, but that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says very specifically, the Holy Spirit is God. And one of the clearest passages in the Bible is in Acts chapter 5. Alright, so you got Ananias and Sapphira. And they were selling part of they were selling their land, and they decided when they sold their land, in their heart, what they promised to do is that they were going to give all the money. They were going to give all the money to the Lord, so that way God can use it however He wants to use it. And here they decided, you know what, we're not going to give all of it. We're going to keep back part of it. Verse 2, they sold this possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the, what? Holy Ghost. And to keep back part of the price of the land. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto who? God. So verse 3 says you've lied to the Holy Ghost. Verse 4 says you've lied unto God. This is one of the clearest couple of verses in your Bible that shows you that the Spirit of God is God. The Holy Ghost is God. Now, this has great practical ramifications. If you're born again, what does that mean? The Spirit of God is inside of you. So who is inside of you? God. That's no small thing. Like, that's pretty important to understand. When you really get a hold of that, and you start to understand that God lives inside of you as a born-again believer, that changes a lot of things. I think many people don't stop and take time to even think about what that means. I mean, if you really contemplate that and you meditate on that whole idea of what the Scriptures say, which is it's true, it's, it's, it's a reality, would you say half the things you normally say on a daily basis? I mean, knowing that God is intimately connected with your body, would you say, would you do, would you think 
would you go the places that you would go normally? I mean, that's, that's big. That is big. If you just take some time and sit down and think about that, my goodness. And see, this is why God killed Moses' boys. I mean, think about that picture. God says, no, no, no. Don't offer anything else. This is very important. This is so important to him. He killed two, two guys, Aaron's, Aaron's sons, that were supposed to be ministering. I mean, that was, that was a big deal. That was a big deal. And we're often just so flippant about God living inside of our body. I think that that is a huge mistake. Often, oftentimes, we can be offering our own strange fire. So here, the Holy Spirit is God. This crown indicates royalty and authority. It is the Holy Ghost. And this object in the tabernacle represents the Holy Ghost. Okay, next point. The altar burning uh, with burning incense is a picture of the prayers of the saints. And these are some really, really cool verses. Let's go over to uh, Revelation 8. Someone else go to Leviticus 10. Leviticus 10. All right, Aunt, you can take one. Hold on. Uh, and then at Revelation 8. Everyone let's go to Revelation 8. And Alana will go to Leviticus 10. Revelation chapter 8. Careful, don't drop your sword. can cut somebody. It's almost right Revelation 8. Someone read verses 3 and 4. 3 and 4. Go ahead. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which, which came with the prayer of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Okay, there you go. See, in heaven, right now, there is a golden altar with a golden censer. And when your prayers are prayed unto God, especially when they're prayed appropriately, because remember, remember, salvation, right? Salvation, got to be saved, sanctified, Holy Spirit of God, your prayers right here. They're all connected. The Word of God, your prayer life, and the Holy Spirit of God are all connected. So it says very specifically, according to this verse, that when you pray, it is offered before God as a sweet-smelling aroma from that incense that goes up from before the altar to His throne. It's really cool. Leviticus 10, verse 1. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them the censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which He commanded them not. Yep, and they be dead. Yeah, that's like the second part. It's kind of in there. <laughs> and they're dead. Yes, they offer that strange fire. They offer that strange fire. So this altar burning with incense is a picture of the prayers of the saints. I think this is amazing. This is one of the things that, that blows my mind. And I don't have a reference on here for it, but if you go over real quick over to Psalm um, 116. 116. I love this verse. I love this verse. It is such a comfort to my heart. Psalm 116. Psalm 116, verse 1 and 2. David writes this. I love it. I love the Lord because He hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because He hath inclined His ear unto me, therefore will I call upon Him as long as I live. One of the things that I love about God 
There's many things I love about God. I love the fact that He died for me when I had no hope. I love the fact that He uh, cared enough for me to take my sins upon Himself. I love the fact that He took God's wrath for my sins so that way I didn't have to. I mean, I love, it's 1 John 4, and it says that we love Him because He first loved us. I mean, those things are amazing to me. But this is another one. I love God because when I talk to Him, He hears me. When I pray to God, I know He hears me. And how humbling it is for God to even hear me. Like, I, I love it when little kids talk. Like, it is one of the best things in the world. I mean, so last night we were hanging out and it was Corey and Heather and he had Ryder and he's talking to Megan and it was just like he's just speaking in tongues. That's what he was doing. And Megan's like, oh yeah? And so she's talking to him and it's great. And then I love like even with Lucy, my four-year-old, uh, I told some of you guys this, but it was foggy a couple weeks ago, one early morning. And she walks outside and she goes, ah, it makes me cry. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Like, why does the fog make you cry? And here I think she, she thinks it's entering into her eyes because she can see, you know, the fog particles or whatever. And so then we're walking down to the car. I'm like, you don't have to cry. It's fine. She goes, dad, my eyes are melting. And I'm like, that is great. I'm like, I love that. And then she realized what she said and then she laughed at herself because she knew it was really stupid and it was funny. And that's not what she meant. She meant to say she was crying. But I'm like, that is just so sweet. I love that. I love the way little kids talk. But for me as a parent, I have to enter into the mind of the child in order to hear them properly. You know? You can't just, well, that's a dumb thing to say. Why would you say your eyes are melting? That's just, no, you're crying. Those are tears. That actually comes from, so scientifically, and <laughs> you can go there, you know what I mean? But yet a lot of people think that God's that way. God is not that way. God is not that way at all. There are so many times we pray things that are just downright dumb and selfish and stupid and arrogant and prideful. But God knows you. He knows that you're but dust. He loves the fact that you're just talking to Him. How much do you talk to Him? He loves that. He lives for that relationship. He died for that relationship. He wants you to talk to Him. I love the Lord because He inclines His ear unto me. <sighs> Why? Knowing who I am, why would God do that for me? I love it. I love it. So your prayers are very, very important. Very important. So that burning incense is a picture of your, of your prayers. All right. The Lord meets us where we are when we pray biblically. God meets us where we are when we pray biblically. And that is so, so true. Let's go over to uh, 1 John. 1 John 5. 1 John chapter 5. And someone will get Proverbs 15, 29. You got it. First John 5. Alright, First John chapter 5. Verse 13. Very powerful verse. And then we'll focus on our, our, our verse, verse 14. Verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So you can know 
that you have eternal life. It's not something that you have to hope for. It's not something you have to wish for. It's something you can absolutely know for sure. Verse 14, And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He heareth, that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know we have the petitions that we desired of Him. So this is very, very simple. When we pray, we need to pray according to God's will. Now, how do you know if you're praying according to God's will? Let's just break this down a bit. How do you know when you're praying according to God's will? The Bible. <laughs> yes, another good standard Sunday school answer. The Bible. What about the Bible? God, I pray the Bible. Amen. <laughs> right? No. Good. If, what, if our like, will lines up with what the Bible says He wants for us. Right. So practically, how does this work out? Because I know I don't pray according to God's will all the time. And there's sometimes I'm praying about things circumstantially that may or may not be according to God's will. So how do I do that? What does that look like? Yeah? Like if you're asking for something, making sure that like it's in the Bible that it's something biblical to ask for. Mm -hmm. Also keeping the heart attitude of, okay, like God, I really want this, but if you don't want it from me, then take it from me or don't give it to me. Yeah, good. So give me a practical example. David. David? David Burns. <laughs> He's not according to God's will. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, so what about David? Like how he always had the proper heart attitude when he prayed. Yeah. Like, and I always think of Psalm 51, yeah. where he just had like a complete state of brokenness towards God. Okay, good. What about practically in your life? What, what are some things that you could be potentially praying about that are more circumstantial? Relationships. Yes, relationships. Not just dating, friends, family. I mean, you, you can't tell me that you have no problems with your friends. And you have zero issues with your family. And that you're never interested in dating someone you shouldn't be dating. Like, that never happens. Right? I mean, come on. Yes! We have problems, because we be sinners. So, here's the deal. When it comes to your friends and your friendships, you come into a conflict, you come into an issue, you pray about it. So what do you pray? God, I love my friend. I care deeply about them. And we're fighting over this issue. And frankly, it's kind of dumb. <laughs> and if there's anything that I've done, I mean, would you show it to me? Because I, I, I don't want there to be any conflicts. Right? I mean, things like that. God, I'm, I'm really interested in dating this person. And I feel this way. But I know what your word says. And I know that they're not saved. Or I think they're not saved. Or I think they're not walking with you. And I really need you to help me with this. And if you don't want me to do this, then I, I just... I, I need you to change my heart. I need you... I mean, do we do that? That's what we're talking about here. Praying according to... God, I, I'm, I'm not sure what to do with my future. I don't know what career to choose. I don't know what college to go to. Should I stay local? Should I go to another school? Should I not even go to school at all and maybe enter into the trades? Or should I do, and the world is nuts now. I plan on going to the medical field and I kind of don't want to go to the medical field now because it's all crazy. And I mean, there's so many things you could be praying. God, what is your will for me? And show me, because I want to do what you want me to do. So many times people just go and do and then they say, Lord, please bless me in my decision. That is not the right way to go about it. 
That is not the right way to go about it. You don't make decisions and say, God, fix this. God, bless this. Let this be your will because I've already made up my mind. That's not how this works. God, what do you want for me? I don't want what I want if you want something different. Help me. That's what he wants. I mean, that would be, again, going back to the picture of me with my kids because it's just a perfect type. If my kids are going to make a decision, which oftentimes they have, where I'm like, why didn't you ask me? Why did you? <laughs> this is funny. So last night, again, we were over at someone's house and Lucas did this. I'm like, oh my gosh. All right. So he goes up and he takes a couple cookies. And these are like, you know, M&M cookies. And he's got one in his hand. He's got a second one in his hand. He's like, hey, dad, can I have this? And he puts it in his mouth. I'm like, dude, what? No. And then I take the second cookie from his hand and I put it back in. And I'm like, ah, how much dairy have you had anyway? Because he has a dairy thing. So, but I'm like, ah, like <laughs> there's so many times we do it. Hey God, can I have this? Is this okay? And we just go and we do it. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. <laughs> I do the same thing to you all the time. And so we need to really be conscious of this. We need to be talking to the Lord about it a lot more than what we do, for sure. The Lord meets us where we are as we pray biblically. And I think sometimes, uh, and this is just an opinion that I have, but I think it's, it's pretty spot on, uh, that the reason why we don't pray to God and we don't ask Him for His will, because we really know, we really know that He's not approving of this thing that we're involved in. And if we ask, then it's just one more thing to feel guilty about. And that's just the wrong attitude to have. All right, go ahead and read Proverbs fifteen twenty nine. The Lord is far from the wicked, but hears the prayers of the righteous. He is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. And it's not that he has an affinity for righteous people. No, it's because righteous people actually talk to him. Wicked people don't talk to God. They just don't. And that's why they remain wicked. Wicked people can become righteous if they actually restore their relationship with the Lord. Very important. All right, our prayers are connected to the Holy Spirit. And should be morning to evening. Morning to evening. We looked at Romans 8.26 last week about the Spirit helps us with our infirmities because we don't know how we're supposed to pray. And He helps us with our infirmities. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. We're supposed to be praying all the time. All the time. All the time. All right, and lastly, and this is the, the big one. This is talking about the, the altar and the coals from off the brazen altar being in the censer on that golden altar and it being atoned for by that blood. Real intercessory prayer that pleases God is kindled, is kindled by Jesus' blood atonement. Real intercessory prayer that pleases God is kindled by Jesus' blood atonement. This is very important. Um, go over to Colossians 3 and give me a reader for John 17, 23. All right, Sam, you can do John 17. And then everyone else, go over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, uno, dos, tres. Too many times when we pray, I think we are extremely selfish. We are extremely selfish and self-centered. Now, there is a time in prayer to be self-centered, but you can't get properly self-centered until you're God-centered first. That sounds really weird as it came out of my mouth, but it is true nonetheless. So here's where it really comes down to it. Colossians 3, 
Verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. So where is our focus supposed to be? Things above, which are what? What are the things that are above? The ceiling. The ceiling. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> what are the things above, not according to Carson's interpretation, but what God has to say? Yeah. The word of God and the souls of men. Yes, the word of God, the souls of men, and God's throne, God's presence, God himself. Those three things. Now, sometimes I have to stop myself, and I have to refocus my heart and my mind. And... I remember back with, uh, you know, it was the prayer pattern that we learned in Florida, but it was one of those things where I, I went back and I, my, first, my first introduction to my prayer should be about God and who He is. His name, what He's done as my Savior, my Redeemer, the Creator, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the only God, and beside Him there is none else. Going back and remembering those things, it gets my heart right. And remembering how He's my Redeemer. He's, my, he, he's, he's the reason why I can be sanctified and set apart. He's, he's my life. Christ, who is our life, verse 4. Like He's everything. He is my hope. Without Him, I have nothing. And going back and remembering those things helps me tremendously. And spending time with God, thinking about who He is, and then moving into who I am as a sinner, as broken needing to be saved. And when I work through all that stuff, now I can pray right. Now I can be, go before God and say, you know what, God, I'm really struggling, but at the same time, I know you can do anything. And it'll set everything, it'll set everything else right in your life. Remembering who God is, really meditating on who God is, and then remembering who you are in the presence of God. And once you do that, now you can actually pray with a right heart attitude about people, circumstances, decisions, everything. It always comes back to what Jesus has done for me personally. It's always connected to what Christ has done for me. If I forget what Christ has done for me, I will never pray right. If I forget what Christ has done for me, I won't make good decisions. I won't, I won't operate in this world properly because I'm not thinking about Him, I'm thinking about me. When I get self-centered and self-focused, I make bad decisions. I, every time, every time. So I have to remember what Christ has done for me. John 17, 23. I am them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. What I love about that verse is that it very specifically says that the world may know. When you are in perfect fellowship with Jesus and God the Father through the Spirit of God, when you are here... When you're saved, sanctified, you're spending time with God in His Word, in prayer, through the Holy Spirit of God, the world will know that God is true, that He's real, this is not a farce, this is legit, and people need to hear Him, and they need to know Him. Our testimony will be strong, because when you're here, you're making good biblical decisions. You're living a life that's pleasing to the Lord, because you're saved. You're set apart. You've dealt with the sin in your life. 
You're in the presence of God. You're hearing from Him. You're talking to Him. And so then your life will then just unfold properly. See, so many people get this backwards. They, they're all fixated on religion and how I need to live a certain way and follow these rules and wear these clothes and not see this, these movies and not listen to this music. And da, 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 da. No, 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 no. You go down that path and it is going to go awry for you very fast. It's not about the outward things. It's about the inward things. It's about the inward. Remember, this is your body. Body. This is your body, your tabernacle. It's about here, not here, here, here. No, not, no, here. It's about here. So if you are saved, set apart unto God, walking with Him and communicating with Him and letting Him communicate with you, your life will then just unfold in a way that will glorify God. You won't want to listen to crappy music. You, would, you won't want to go and watch stuff that's going to defile your relationship with God. You're not going to want to date lost people. You're not going to want to. Because God matters more to you than anyone else. That's what should be driving your decisions. And this is where people get this all wrong. Your relationship with God is everything. It is everything. Everything. Because you love God and He loves you, it changes everything. Everything. And if you really love God, why would you be going and doing that? Why would you be saying this? Why would you be participating in that? Why would you be doing that? Because if someone loves God, those things won't be happening. That's what it comes down to. And that's why God gave us this picture. So we have to remember. We've got to remember what Jesus has done for us and keep that in the forefront of our mind. It will help you. It will help you. And your prayer life is the greatest evidence of your faith. Because people can't see it. They might see you pray, but they don't see what's really going on on the inside. They don't see what's happening. It's something between you and God alone. So if your prayer life stinks, then your relationship with God stinks. And chances are you're not even spending time in His Word. They all come together. Very, very important. And all these things are coming together in a systematic fashion to lead us here. And we're going to talk about that um, later. I was thinking next week, but we're going to be out of town next week. So we're going to be ending that a couple weeks from now. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for this reminder today. I pray we would live it out, that we would be faithful unto you. I know even this past week, it's been good for me to think about these things and meditate on these things, and I pray that we all would do that, uh, that this world would know, that this world may know that you are, that you are real, that you are still around that you care about people very, very much. And we are your ambassadors in this world. And I pray you'd help us to be faithful. It's easy at times to be unfaithful. So help us to repent and make it right and draw near unto you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.